0: What I'm going to do for the next 20 minutes is is talk about faithful ecclesiology, that's the title uh, I've got. Um, When we're talking about ecclesiology it's just another word for the doctrine of the church. So we are are asking the question um, what should our doctrine of the church be to be faithful? Now obviously that's not something that we can uh, completely cover uh, in 20 minutes so what I want us to do is just to try uh, and pick up a few pointers really some things for me to encourage you with uh, maybe challenge you with a little bit maybe exhort you a little bit too. um it's probably stuff that a lot of it we already know uh but that might help us think through uh our doctrine of the church the foundations of it really so this is very much a a biblical paper in terms of uh, i'm just going to spend some time uh, in a couple of uh, books a couple of paul's letters Uh, largely because that's where we get a lot of our New Testament ecclesiology from, but also because that's the bit I know. Um, So uh, I'm going to spend a bit of time in 1 Thessalonians uh, and a little bit of time uh, in 1 Corinthians. Uh, And we'll just put some stuff together over the next 20 minutes, three points for you. uh, And then obviously you'll have a bit of time to talk to one another, and then we'll have a bit of time for questions uh, as well. So let me start with a, a little passage from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Uh, And the reason for starting here is is, uh, twofold first, because what I'm trying to do today is this, I think, is to remind you of stuff, uh, a lot of stuff that you probably already know. So do have your Bibles open if you can, um, and keep your finger in 1 Thessalonians 4, because we'll keep coming back there. Let me read verses 1 and 2. I'm happening to read from the ESV. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus, that as you receive from us how you ought to live and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. So as Paul comes to uh, this uh, section of the letter, uh, finally as an introduction to uh, the the section really, um, notice that he's saying, look, you know this stuff. You, you're familiar with quite a lot of this and you're doing quite a lot of it already. But I just want to remind you of it and exhort you to do it more, to continue to be faithful. Um, And that's really what we're trying to do today. Three areas of faithfulness then. The first uh, is to be faithful to the family, faithful to the family. Um, And let's stick with 1 Thessalonians, first of all, as we do that. Uh, And one of the reasons for looking at 1 Thessalonians is because it's it's a letter written to a, a young church and it's written quite possibly the earliest letter that Paul wrote that we've got. Uh, And therefore, there are lots of foundational ideas here for how the church operates. Interestingly, if you go through chapter 5, verses 12 to 26, have a look at that later, uh, you'll see, uh, in brief, a lot of the issues that Paul then deals with uh, at greater length in other letters to do with church leadership, to do with how you're supposed to behave uh, vis-a-vis other Christians. So this is a good place for us to start when we think about the doctrine of the church. It's about how church members should behave. Although when I say church members I'm not sure that's quite the term uh, that Paul would have chosen. Certainly it's not the term that he uses most frequently. In fact we've already had the term that Paul uses most frequently for uh, church members in 1 Thessalonians and it's this in his brothers or brothers and sisters. Um, I wonder if you noticed it in the first verse of chapter 4. I suspect you might not have done and one of the reasons we don't notice this is because it's so often there did you see it finally then brothers it's a term isn't it that in english has just become to be a neutral term that doesn't carry anything with it so we read across it very easily and we don't hear it we we read brothers we read brothers and sisters maybe we spend more time than we should arguing about which is the right translation uh, and we don't really think about what it means but actually That word carries implications with it, and Paul chooses to use that word uh, because it carries those implications. Obviously in the first century, as in any century, uh, families are important, and we know a lot from the surrounding literature in the first century of the importance of families, arguably more important than now, not just the nuclear family, uh, but also the wider family. There's a lot of writing in the first century about uh, Philadelphia, about brotherly love. We know the idea, don't we? Um, We we talk about blood being thicker than water, the idea that blood relations we have particular responsibilities for. Think about it this way, if you uh, have a friend and you don't see them for 15 years, well maybe they're still a friend. If you have a brother and you don't see them for 15 years, they are definitely still your brother. And you'd be estranged from them, whereas with a friend you just wouldn't be friends anymore and it wouldn't matter that much. Family. Uh, Language is important to us and it's a language of shared identity, isn't it? Uh, We see that elsewhere in the letter to the Thessalonians Shared identity and shared identity means shared behavior That is because we share this identity as brothers and sisters because we are part of this family Well, then we need to behave in a particular way See that from those verses in 1 Thessalonians 4 finally then brothers It is because they are brothers and sisters because of what christ has done we'll cover that in a bit uh, that they are to behave in a particular way don't also miss the fact of course that for many in the first century and this is increasingly important now isn't it there is a a re-socialization going on here that is to be to come to christ sometimes meant and sometimes means leaving your family behind if you convert From particular places and religions across our world today then that means estrangement from your physical family and you really need to know that you're part of a wider family so don't miss that aspect of it uh, as well so the church is a family now we say that don't we I'm sure we've many of us stood at the front of churches and said that the church is a family but that doesn't mean the church holds family services Or the church has children. Both those things are desirable. Well, maybe not the first, but the second certainly is. Uh, But it doesn't mean that. It means that we're a family. That is, we have responsibilities to one another. And we can start with the analogy of the nuclear family to think what those responsibilities are. And also, I think, and this is perhaps sometimes missed, the family has boundaries. There are definitions about family, about who is and who isn't you know how it gets don't you that as soon as you start thinking about brothers and sisters and then cousins and then second cousins and third cousins twice removed it gets very confusing because there are a set of relationships there but they are defined relationships so family language carries with it obligations what are those obligations well here i want us to turn to another passage um, and i won't read this one out but i do want you to sort of have it open as we look at it and that's one corinthians chapter eight if you would have that open with me uh, because in this section of uh, 1 Corinthians 1 ch- chapters 8 to 10 really also in Romans 14 and 15 Paul talks a lot about brotherly love and what brotherly love looks like uh, in practice and in this passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 8 Paul is addressing the issue of meat offered to idols and whether you can eat it or not and his basic argument can be summarized like this look That meat offered to idols is essentially indifferent. doesn't matter. If you want to eat it, eat it. However, you have brothers and sisters, those for whom Christ has died, and they have a challenge about eating that meat sacrificed to idols because of their background. And therefore, because of them, because these are your brothers, weaker brothers, uh, if you like, then you will want to abstain from eating that meat in certain contexts for their sake. The meat might not mean anything, but for the sake of the other, you are to behave in a particular way. And that then is the argument that gets sort of uh, argues through chapter eight, chapter nine, chapter 10, again comes back in Romans 14 uh, and 15. That argument about caring for others, about being concerned for the needs of others and putting the needs of others first, putting the needs of our brothers, our brothers and sisters in Christ uh, before our own needs that of course doesn't mean having warm feelings to our brothers and sisters in christ but nothing else um, and it certainly doesn't mean that we go to church thinking that church is basically about what i can get out of it i go for the preaching it's always a corporate exercise so brotherly love uh, is exhorted to us that's the first thing that we need to see now i might be uh, i might be teaching my grandma to suck eggs whatever that means uh, by saying this but it's worth repeating isn't it faithful to the family we are brothers and sisters in Christ and that therefore results in a certain set of behaviors uh, that we need to engage with that's the first thing to see faithful to the family the second is uh, faithful to the Lord and this is all about holiness stay with me 1 Corinthians 8 for a moment and notice uh, the way in which Paul in chapter in verse 11 and verse 12 flags up the fact that the way in which we behave in term, in relation to our brothers and sisters Is because they are brothers and sisters in Christ. Sinning against a brother for whom Christ died, verse eleven, is also sinning against Christ, verse Christ, verse twelve. So as well as this kind of uh, horizontal call to faithfulness between uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, there's also a vertical faithfulness, isn't there? A faithfulness to the Lord Jesus. Remember that uh, here we're going to talk about holiness, and remember that holiness language in the Bible is essentially about separateness, being set apart for god if we turn back to the first uh, chapter of one corinthians in verse two we read this to the church of god that is in corinth to those sanctified in christ jesus called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our lord jesus both their lord and ours right at the start of the letter paul says look you have been set apart you have been sanctified you are holy And now I want you to live like it. You are this holy people set apart for Christ, by Christ, by his death. And now you need to live as that holy people. So later on in chapter uh, 6, when Paul is talking to the Corinthians about uh, holiness and uh, and particularly in relation to sexual ethics, the argument runs along to say, look, as those who've been sanctified in Christ, this is chapter 6, verse 11, you, you mustn't indulge in certain things verses 9 and 10 it's the same argument isn't it you are set apart by christ and therefore you need to live in this particular way this argument uh, you can find it again and again in 1 corinthians you can find it again and again in paul's letter if we go back to chapter 4 of 1 thessalonians i said we go back there notice the language of holiness it, it talks about paul talks about being holy in verse 3 uh, acting in holiness in verse 4 a call to holiness verse 7 uh, and that's all linked to the possession of the Holy Spirit verse 8 and here in 1 Thessalonians 4 you get this holiness language it's about living a holy life it's a call to separateness it's a call to being a distinctive people living in a distinctive way because of who we are in Jesus Christ but notice it's linked to the brother language that we've already seen so we are to behave in this way because we belong to Christ but also we're to behave in this way because this is the community to which we belong uh, and this is the community that we need to uh, maintain unity within and therefore we create and define boundaries and we say this is who we are, this is how we live, this is what it means to be part of the family of Christ. And what I want us to see here is that if we take the, that brother language which is kind of very much about how we are related to one another and we take the holiness language which, yes, is about how we relate to one another, but is also about how we relate to Christ, then that starts to give us some really helpful parameters for thinking through uh, how, how do we relate our desire for comprehensiveness and unity to our desire to follow Christ wholeheartedly and to be the people he's called us to be. So we think about family, But it's a holy family, therefore, it's not an anything goes family. But it's a family. So it's not about holiness as an individual journey that I take to get myself to know Jesus better. And that's essentially about me and my quiet time. And I go to church because the preaching is useful sometimes, but it's essentially an individual thing. Now, both those extremes can be easily found uh, within the church and something in between. But the something in between needs to be not just a, a mild version of either of those things but a recognition that this is a holy family that is what the church's faithful ecclesiology will involve us thinking about ourselves as a holy family not the holy family uh, as in uh, uh, as in what we might think about uh, jesus and, and and his relations but our holy family the true holy brotherhood uh, if you like being the people that, that god has called us to be faithful to the lord holiness that's faithful ecclesiology faithful to the family and then finally and this might be the slightly more controversial one um, uh, faithful to the denomination faithful to the denomination now that might sound a little bit odd given where i've been uh, so far but let me say this given the things i've already said it doesn't take long to start getting to a question in our minds at least of this what does it mean to be part of a holy family within contemporary Anglicanism, or within any other church that has more than one, uh, more than one congregation in it, okay? Some of you might already have been thinking about, well, hang on, if we're gonna be this holy family, can we do that holiness within Anglicanism? Some of you might be thinking, hang on, how do we make sure that we are united with as many people as possible? These are good questions, valid uh, questions, And the the danger is that we come with a very particular answer to them. And the answer is, let's not worry about it. So the dangerous answer is to say, well, okay, we need to be a holy family. We need to be a holy family here in this church, in this congregation. And really, we're not going to trouble ourselves too much with what happens beyond that. Okay, let's just worry about what's going on here. And that's the temptation, I think. There are other temptations as well, but I think that's the main one. That in our ecclesiology, we've become congregationally focused. Whatever the particular structures there might be uh, to order the church, we've become congregationally focused and say, let's just worry about this here. And of course, a lot of the family language tends in that direction, doesn't it? If we think about being a family, we can imagine what that means within a local congregation. It's harder to imagine what that means beyond that. If thinking about holiness we can think about how we might encourage holiness within a local congregation. although we, we probably don't enough um i'm not sure i do enough but how does that work across well once you start talking about holiness and denominations it's just too complicated isn't it and so i what i want us to see here um is that whilst it's true and absolutely true that the local church is the church not just part of the church the church nevertheless in paul's thinking Uh, The local church is also part of something bigger. Let me just give you a couple of examples uh, of that. Again, we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, just towards the end of that passage, verses 9 to 12. In verse 9, we read this. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. So see where this starts. You are loving one another. Fantastic. But then notice how that love goes beyond the local congregation. All the brothers throughout Macedonia, that's probably a reference to uh, the, the Roman province, and that's quite a big place. Uh, and therefore, precisely where all those other churches are in Macedonia uh, isn't the point. The point is, brotherly love extends beyond the congregation. It's linked to a living a life worthy of the Lord uh, in Thessalonica. But, whatever the detail of that, the implications are twofold. First, how the brothers lived in Thessalonica, how they conducted themselves within that local setting um, had implications beyond the immediate congregation and even beyond the city of Thessalonica. And also, not only does it have implications, this is an important point as well, they should care. they should be bothered. It is should be of interest to them how their behaviour, impacts on others uh, beyond the local congregation because those people outside Thessalonica and yes outside Macedonia from the rest of the letter are also brothers and sisters in Christ all the brothers throughout Macedonia we're not just brothers with those in our local church we are brothers and sisters with all those who are in Christ so it's a bigger family it's also a bigger people again if we were to go back to that uh, the start of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 2 we'd read to those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Paul writes to the church in Corinth but he also has in mind to help them really to see their part of something bigger he has in mind the fact that well actually this letter is really to everybody isn't it It's to all those who are saints and those saints aren't just the people in Corinth they are well they're God's holy people aren't they As soon as you start using that term, which is justifiable in the New Testament, that has translocal implications, that has implications beyond the local church. Being part of a people, none of us would say, surely, that God's holy people is limited to our particular congregation. That is a term uh, which implies one people. So it's a bigger family, it's a bigger people, and as we see in 1 Corinthians particularly, it's also uh, a bigger church. There are a number of occasions where Paul talks about church uh, in Corinth where he does not mean a local church. He means the church. Now, we immediately start talking about the church universal here, and that has later theological ideas attached to it. And actually, I prefer to think about the whole church. Think about it in geographical terms to start with. When Paul writes his letters and says the church, who's he got in mind? Well, he's certainly got in mind all the churches of the Pauline mission, and actually, I would argue, um, and you can read this lovely book if you want to see why um i would argue that he he means all the churches from jerusalem to rome that's who he's thinking when he's talking about church he has an idea of the whole thing uh, we see that in chapter 10 verse 32 we see it in chapter 12 verse 28 we see it in chapter 15 uh, verse 9 and so paul has this idea of the church as a wider entity and therefore he can say look because of what's going on over there that should impact what goes on here so just as the brothers in Thessalonica had an impact on those outside and therefore they needed to think about their behavior when Paul writes to Corinthians he says look you need to think about what's happening in other churches and you need to take account of what what I say in all the churches chapter 4 verse 17 uh, Paul refers to what he teaches in every church refers uses the singular to singular to refer to various local churches in chapter 7 verse 17 he refers to a rule that he lays down in all the churches in chapter 11 verse 16 a practice that all the churches have uh, and again in chapter 14 verses 33 and 34 what's the what's the argument here well it's this isn't it what is normative in the churches should also be normative in Corinth the Corinthians can't say well we're going to do it like this Paul says, no, there are things that you can't say that for. Of course, there can be local variation. And of course, there's a whole load of things where Paul doesn't lay down a law about how things should be. But nevertheless, there is an argument that says, look, this is what the church does. This is what we do, the church, widely conceived, and therefore uh, that should impact your behavior here. So I don't see how we can have a faithful ecclesiology uh, or a faithful Anglican ecclesiology If we don't take account of the translocal church if we don't take account of the church of england more widely and other churches in our locality practically in terms of how we work with other churches i think we all have a responsibility to think that through and at the local level that's going to be anglican churches and non-anglican churches of course it is but also in terms of what it means to be part uh, of the anglican church that the bible tells us that we need to take that seriously Because the ecclesiology of the Bible is uh, translocal, it is not just uh, congregational. So here we are. What do we have here? We're this family, we are uh, a holy people, we need to take account of the family, we need to take account of our Lord. And we need to do that not just in our local setting, uh, but also uh, translocally. Let me say two very provoking things as I finish, just so that you've got something to talk about these are deliberately a bit provoking we can come back to the questions and then i'll give you the questions for the discussions the first question i have the first provocation if you like is this it is simply to say to you that hunkering down and ignoring the wider scene is not an option it just simply isn't an option we we have to uh, engage with the, the wider scene because that's what it means to be part of the church I, I know everyone here is in different settings but certainly if we have a calling to ordained ministry Or leadership positions within a local church we have to take account of the wider scene that's my first provocation you can agree or disagree with that the second is this what what are the implications for this for how we plant churches I'll leave that with you two questions for discussions then the first is this Um, I'll, I'll say it twice how might we become better individually and collectively at being a holy family our local churches so let's focus on our local churches because they're very important how might we become better individually and collectively at being a holy family in our local churches Uh, and then second what are the what are the challenges for us of having a bigger vision of the church that church beyond the local what are the challenges of a bigger vision of the church